John 3.16, open your Bibles. Yeah, some of you are going to be, but I know this one. We need to lay our eyes on it every now and then. Might be an auditory learner, you might be visual, you might be kinesthetic. But let's put our eyes there on the text. If you don't have a good old-fashioned Bible that's made out of paper and bound with whatever, would you pull up on pew back in front of you, one of those Bibles, or on your phone, the Bible app, and look with me at John 3.16. As I read from the New International Version, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved you, no matter who you are. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, that if you believe in Jesus, have faith in Him, that He is who the Bible says He is, you won't perish but have eternal life. God loves us. He loves us. And because He loves us, He gives us an invitation to come to Him. As we begin our sermon series, an invitation to Jesus' table, we start with this idea of come. If you read the Gospels again and again and again, you hear Jesus is the one that says, Come, come to me, come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For many of us here, there's been a point in time in our past, either as a child, a teenager, an adult. It might have been decades ago. It might have been just weeks ago for some of you when you know that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You believed what John 3.16 says, that if you believe in Him and confess your faith in Him, that you will be saved. You become a Christian, a Christ follower. Yet for most of us, Enough time has happened between that time and this time. And although we know that God loves us and Jesus loves us as God's Son who gave Himself for us, that we don't love Him the way we used to. In Revelation chapter 2, John, the same John who wrote the gospel, is writing to the church at Ephesus. On behalf of Jesus, he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks around with the seven golden lampstands, these biblical images. I know your deeds, your work, your perseverance. I know that you can tolerate wicked men and have tested, uh, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. These are good things that this church did. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. A church that didn't give up no matter what. Yet, Revelation 2.4, write that one down, Revelation 2.4. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So many of us have been there before. You might be there right now where you've forsaken your love for Jesus. 
You know who he is. You know what he's done for you. You got a whole lot of biblical knowledge. But in your daily life, stuff happens and you do things your way instead of the Bible's way. And when you hear an invitation to come to Jesus' table, you kind of hang your head because you think, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not walking with him. The very next verse tells us what to do. It says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning and we open your word and consider the invitation to come to Jesus' table for the Lord's Supper, to remember all that he is for us and what he has done for us, we have to start with the fact that you love us and we love you most of the time, or at least some of the time. And yet we may have fallen away. So, Father, we have to start with confession to say, God, I confess my sin, whatever that is. I confess my selfishness, my control, however that manifests itself for me. And I want to repent and turn from those things and walk daily as you would have me, according to the Bible, following Jesus And from that point, the point of repentance and brokenness and humility, then we can turn and accept your invitation to come. God, would you speak to us through these scriptures today and in these weeks ahead as we prepare ourselves for a special observance of the Lord's Supper on Palm Sunday morning four weeks from now. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Friends, God calls us into a love relationship with Him that's real and personal. It's intimate. But if you would consider how you would rate your love relationship with Him, what would you say? Where have you fallen? What are your challenges? But you've got to know this, that wherever you are, however you feel, that God is reaching out to you and he is inviting you to come. Come to a deeper relationship with him. Come to a more intimate relationship with him. Come to grow in a love relationship with him in which he seeks to guide you and protect you and provide for you and care for you and comfort you. This is the God we serve. And we come in the weeks ahead. Next week, we're going to be looking at readying ourselves and we'll speak more about this idea of humility and repentance to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Two weeks from today, we'll talk about restoring relationships because Scripture is clear that before we come together to observe the table, we better have our relationships with others squared away as best as our ability. And we're going to talk about that and give you an opportunity that Sunday to do that. Not that you need my opportunity, but you'll get a little push. Three weeks from now, we'll talk about renewing your love and this idea of remembering again what Christ has done for us and building on my introduction this morning. And then four weeks from today, we'll celebrate a unique Lord's Supper service together on Palm Sunday morning, preparing our hearts for Easter. I'm pretty psyched about this, friends, and I hope that you are too. But let's turn to our uh, outline today. And today, we're going to talk about three suppers 
and one invitation. Three suppers and one invitation. Really, there's more than three, but we'll get there in a moment. And if you follow the outline, you know that already. But three suppers and one invitation. The first is the Lord's Supper. The first is the Lord's Supper. Around here, although we might call it communion, although we might call it the Eucharist, we most often call it the Lord's Supper. Why do we call it the Lord's Supper? Because that's what Scripture calls it in First Corinthians chapter 11. So if you haven't turned there already, please turn to First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. The Lord's Supper is to be observed, and you've got blanks to fill in here, by Jesus and all Christ followers regularly. Leslie will get that up there. Thank you, ma'am. Jesus and all Christ followers regularly. There are some churches I know that observe communion or the Eucharist every week or even every service they have every day. There are some churches that uh, do it monthly, and we do it, oh, about quarterly, sometimes more. But it's to be observed regularly. Regularly, the Lord's Supper is to be observed. Why do we call it the Lord's Supper? I already told you that, but we also call it that because... The word communion is weighted with the understanding that this is a sacrament, that it has uh, some power, and that it is transformed in the body and blood of Christ when a priest pronounces its blessing on it. But we don't believe that. Um, There's also an understanding called consubstantiation, that when you consume it, it becomes the body and blood of Christ to you. We don't believe that. We believe the elements, the uh, wafer and the grape juice for us or wine are symbolic, but they're not merely symbolic. They're profoundly symbolic. And so Jesus and all Christ followers are called to observe this regularly. Now, you turn to 1 Corinthians 11 because you were listening to me, but I wasn't listening to myself. So let me turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, if you've been here and you've observed the Lord's Supper with us, you hear me read this most every time. Let's follow along. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when given thanks, he broke it and says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a simple act. It's bread and it's wine or juice. It's simple. The Lord's Supper is a reminder. He says, do this in remembrance of me, that it hearkens us back. You've heard me talk before about the theology of remembrance, that again and again throughout Scripture, God is telling us to remember what I've done, remember my greatness, remember my love, remember my power, remember your obedience, remember your sin. But in this case, remember that Jesus died for you. Verse 25, in the same way, after he took took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, this teaches us that the Lord's Supper is symbolic. Why would I use the term that the Lord's Supper is symbolic here? Because Jesus did not open a vein and put blood in the cup. It was wine. Therefore, we know from the very way that Jesus observed it, it is a symbol It was wine. We drink grape juice just because wine has must in it, yeast, which is not unlike the leaven of sin. Um, And that's why we drink grape juice as well as the unleavened bread at our church when we observe that. But this cup is a new covenant in His blood. Verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim 
the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever we do this, and that is a perfect tense. In other words, it's supposed to be continual and ongoing. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. In other words, we preach it. We herald it. We say that it's going to happen by what we do. We're going to get to those latter verses, 27 and following, in uh, next, not next week, but the week after, I think. But if you would please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn over a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you get what are our key verses for this month, and we'll repeat those at the end of our sermon by means of conclusion. But look at what it says. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one, Jesus, died for all, all of us, and therefore all died. We've died to our sin. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, those of us that live a physical life shouldn't live this physical life for ourselves, but we should live it in devotion to Him because He died for us. It reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice and why we observe the Lord's Supper. His love for us is what started it all. His love for us is why we have an invitation to come. So let's ask that question. Your application question there is, why do we observe the Lord's Supper? I just answered it in the phrase before the question. Because of His love for us. We observe the Lord's Supper because of what Jesus did for us. That's one way to answer it. Second way to answer it is we observe the Lord's Supper because Jesus commanded us to observe the Lord's Supper. Third way to answer it might be we observe the Lord's Supper because it is symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed and body that was broken for us. We observe the Lord's Supper for all these reasons and more. And that's what we call the Lord's Supper. But the other reason we observe the Lord's Supper, and this one might be your fourth reason you write down, is because it points us to the Last Supper. And that's your second major point on your outline. The Last Supper. The Last Supper. And, uh, uh, you know, you can imagine what had happened. And we've just covered this scene if you've been here in our Following Jesus sermon series as we've gone through the Gospels. In this Last Supper, that Jerusalem was filled with people, worshipers chanting psalms, elders from all over the place were gathering lambs, and they were going to have family by family, group by group, to celebrate the Passover meal. So where I said there are three suppers and one invitation, there's really four suppers here. Because what Jesus and his disciples were observing in what we refer to as the Last Supper, put in parentheses behind it, the Passover meal. And the Passover meal harkens back thousands years before to when Jesus' people, the Jewish people, were captive in Egypt, but God did amazing, miraculous things to free them from Egypt, and part of that was that they were to observe this meal to commemorate what He had done for them and um, to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the lentils of their doorpost and then consume that lamb with all these other elements as symbols of what God had done for them. And this Last Supper, however was of Jesus and the disciples at the Passover. And you notice I've got the capital T and the capital D because I'm referring to the 12. You know, 
The guys that walked with him, the guys that spent the most time with him, the guys that when we portray Easter pageant, they're, they're over there having the Lord's Supper, and then, you know, they come here and some of them fall asleep. All, all that stuff. Those guys, the disciples. And so the Lord's Supper points us to the Last Supper, but the Last Supper points us to the Fourth Supper that I'm not really naming on the outline, but I am telling you, and that's the Passover. Turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we'll see recorded for us this observance of the Last Supper with Jesus and His disciples. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and His apostles, Luke calls them apostles, apostles is the later name for them, sent out ones, same group of guys, reclined at the table, and He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's foreshadowing what's going to happen in eternity, in heaven. We're going to come back to that with our last point here this morning. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, he's foreshadowing that. Verse 19, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And as he gave it, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He is telling them that this isn't just a symbol of the Passover lamb then, but I'm going to be the ultimate Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, just as John had identified him in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Jesus is saying, These things you've known all your life, Jewish brothers, observing God setting our people free from the bondage of Pharaoh 2,000 years ago, I'm making a new interpretation of, because I'm God in the flesh and I can do it, and I'm a perfect sinless sacrifice for your sins, and saying, it's my blood, it's my body. Move up ahead in that passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 22, verse 29. He says, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Again, he's pointing towards the future, to eternity, to heaven, and a special role for the disciples. Your question there asks, why do we remember the Last Supper? Why do we remember the Last Supper? I think the first and primary reason is that Jesus told us to remember it. Jesus told us to remember it. And secondary to that is He told us to remember it because it is symbolic of His sacrifice for us. We remember the Last Supper because of the Lord's Supper and all the meaning implied in these elements. The bloodshed and the body broken. I love that we 
still sing old hymns. And that even some of the new songs have the words of old hymns mixed in them as the one we sang this morning did with It Is Well With My Soul. But I want to point your attention to Isaac Watts' hymn, At the Cross. I didn't take the time to look up where it's at in your hymn book, but I'll read it to you now. He says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin? Thus might I hide my blushing face while he, his dear cross, appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself to thee, tis all that I can do. And you know the chorus. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. We think of who Jesus is, and we think of what Jesus has done when we observe the Lord's Supper, because it points us to the Last Supper. But the Last Supper, Jesus pointed us to your third major point on your outline. The third supper we're going to talk about in more detail here. And that is the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. The Wedding Supper of the Lamb. There is a special supper. The Last Supper happened one time. It was a Passover meal, but as it was observed by Jesus and his disciples before it was crucifixion, it was one time. The Lord's Supper happens many times. We do that all the time. But here is this other supper that happens one time. Just as I referenced earlier, John 1.29, write that one down. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So would you turn back to Revelation for me? That one's easy for you to find. It's at the very back of your Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. It's this image in this apocalyptic writing in which John is seeing things, visions that point to greater truths. And it says in verse 6, Then I saw the Lamb looking as if He had been slain. That's Jesus, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, where there are seven spirits. Each of these things have various meanings and interpretations. Of God sent out into all the earth. Verse 7. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. He takes this scroll, this scroll that has seven seals, this scroll that is symbolic of God's final judgment on earth as we know it. And he, Jesus, based on his sinlessness and his perfection, is the only one able to hold this song. And then listen to what these say. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. 
You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Skip on down to verse 12. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the earth and all that is in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The wedding supper of the Lamb is for Jesus and all Christ followers in heaven. That's your next blank that we've got up on the screen there now. It's for Jesus and all Christ followers in heaven. If in your life you've trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior and you die, you will go to heaven. And when you go to heaven, there will be a day in which we have this amazing celebration, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Jesus, the bridegroom, and us, His bride, the church, will celebrate this amazing feast together. You can... Leave a marker in Revelation. We're coming back, but turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Back to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. And Jesus spoke to them again in a parable. Remember, a parable is a heavenly story or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his sons. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent his uh, more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Well, no one would refuse the king. That's why this is a parable. No one would refuse a fine meal like this. And so Jesus is building up this sense of tension in the story for his first hearers. Verse 5, But they paid no attention and went off, one to a field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And this is where it gets kind of crazy because the listeners, as Jesus is telling this, is going, This is crazy! And then it gets even crazier. Verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but, I, but those I invited did not come. Jesus is talking about the Jewish people that knew all these symbols that were refusing him as the Messiah, as the king. That's who he's talking about. It says, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet Anyone you find. Everybody say anyone. And you are a part of anyone. You're Gentile, most of you. All of you that I know. And therefore, you're a part of the anyone. So the servants went out in the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed there was a man who was not wearing wedding clothes, and we'll leave that part there because... It goes a different direction. 
Jesus is telling us there's going to be a special feast, a banquet. And everyone who accepts the invitation to come is welcome to come. Turn back to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I love the sound of your pages turning. Revelation chapter 19, and I'll start in verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the sound of peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saint. Verse 9. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added... These are the true words of God. Did you catch that? Revelation 19.9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Jesus, were you invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb that will happen someday? Raise your hand. Yes, you are. And if you are invited to that supper. What does it say of you? It says you are blessed. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, I know sometimes our lives don't feel too blessed. I mean, we go through life. We got to do our stuff. It's cold outside. There's ice. Things don't work right at work. We wish our children would behave differently. We wish we would behave differently. We can't control them because we can't control ourselves. We wish we could change things. And we look around in this life sometimes and we say it's a mess. But when we consider the grace of God and his goodness and his love for us, and we think about the fact that he has invited you and me, as sinful as we are, to join him in eternity and to celebrate this wedding feast, we are blessed, are we not? And this is for Jesus and all Christ followers of all times. And so that begs the question that I ask next is, why do we anticipate the wedding supper? Well, I don't know about you. I mean, I like living life. There's a lot of things I want to see happen. If Jesus tarries, I want to see my kids grow up. It'd be cool to be a grandpa someday. Um, you know, it'd be nice to be retired and get to hang out uh, with Melanie and stuff like that if we're both not going to work every day. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to in this life for me. But think about what heaven's going to be like compared to what I imagine this life to be like. That there's no sin, there's, there's no sickness, there's no tears, there's no pain. And there's this amazing party for Jesus because of what he's done for us. And we all get an invitation. That's why we can anticipate. That's why we can look forward. So we've got these three suppers we've talked about. And now we've got to come to our one invitation. The fourth point on your outline. And that's one invitation from Jesus. And that's one word. Come. Everybody say come. Come. Jesus tells us to come. Your next little line says that Jesus died. Uh, whoop, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus speaking to everyone ever. So I made it short. You might add a little word in there. I, I wanted it to fit on one, one line on your outline. Forgive me. So Jesus is inviting or speaking to every person ever. Come. 
There are some that teach predestination, that certain folks are predestined to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The rest, some go so far as to teach double predestination. Some are predestined to become Christians or Christ followers. Others are predestined to hell. That one gets a little harder to accept. And there are others of us that believe that, you know, anyone is able to as long as we trust Jesus. And that invitation from Jesus to everyone at all times, everyone ever, is that they would come. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. I quoted this earlier. I couldn't help it. If you don't know Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30, this is one you probably need to write down, screenshot it, memorize it, meditate on it, journal on it, whatever. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when I consider the world we live in with all the stuff we see on the news and crazy people doing terrible things to one another, we need Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who are weary. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When's the last time you've been weary and burdened? Maybe you need rest right now. And who is it that says, come? It's Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, I'm going to help you through like an older, more mature, stronger oxen helps a younger one in the yoke together. I'm going to do this for you. And Jesus makes this invitation to all people at all times to come. You're in Matthew. Turn over a few pages to your right to get to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Again, there are many invitations of Jesus to come, but we're just focusing on these two for time's sake. John chapter 7, verse 37. So Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for a different feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. John seven thirty-seven, and on the last and greatest day of the feast... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Since he hadn't died, the Spirit wasn't given. Jesus is referring to those of us even today, that when we trust Him as our Savior, when we come to Him, He'll give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, come for rest. Jesus says, come for salvation. Jesus says, come to get the Holy Spirit. I think I just answered your questions there. And that is, why does Jesus invite us to Himself? You can answer that a lot of ways. You could say, because He loves us. You could say because He died to save us. You could say because He wants to give us rest. You could say because He knows we need the Holy Spirit. You could answer it in your own way. I'm just giving you a four uh, uh, off the top of my head. That why Jesus invites us to Himself. The bottom line. And the invitation to come is based on His love. 
And because he loves us, he calls us to love him and love one another. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor, other people, as yourself. Love God and love everything, others with everything you've got. We've got our scripture memory verse of the month that Leslie will put up there for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Will you read this with me? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15. Pray with me. God, our Father, we believe those words of Scripture are true. And we are compelled as well. That Christ died for us. And because he died for us. That we are to give ourselves to him. So Father thank you. For your presence among us today. And even though there may not have been anything that seemed too exciting. In our sermon today. Frankly there was some amazing truth. That is exciting. So, Father, as we consider where we're at, each and every one of us, that you loved us and you sent Jesus to die for us. But it may be that we've left our first love and we've done things our own way. If we haven't confessed and repented of those things already, would we do that right now? And God, if there's a person here who hasn't trusted Christ as their Savior yet, or isn't sure about that, that as we stand and sing, they'd come speak to me or they'd speak to someone right now to talk about that. Whatever it is, would we obey as your Spirit moves now that we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.